Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Young. Uh, if we haven't met yet, pastor here at New Life, and we are at the halfway point through our series uh, in the Advent, so peace on earth. And if you haven't done so already, it's a great time to begin to think about um, inviting someone along, opening up conversations about Jesus and perhaps the reason uh, that you celebrate Christmas. Uh, But with that in mind, how about I pray for us and we'll get straight into the word. Uh, Father, we confess that it's so easy to turn to ourselves and to turn to our own desires Um, especially as we approach the holidays, especially as we approach Christmas. Uh, We often think about uh, what it is that we might receive. We often think about the gifts that we'll get on that day. And yet you gave your son as the greatest gift of all. You gave your grace that we might know you. How can it be, Lord, uh, that we take our eyes off of ourselves and look to those around us and indeed look to you? We need your help for this, God. There's not a good work that we can do. I confess for myself that it's so much easier to think about my own needs, to think about my own desires. And I repent of these things. On behalf of new life, I pray, Lord, uh, that you would help us, Lord, to turn ourselves back around and to cling to you. Would you do that mighty work in our hearts, Lord, through your Holy Spirit? It's only you that can affect this change in us. And so help us, Lord, to become a selfless people, to become a people that are fully rewritten and recreated in your son, Jesus. Would you speak to us through your word today, God? Would you revitalize our hearts, our spirits, and help us, Lord, to find rest and renewal in you? Guide us by your Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the hardest battles that I find in this Christian life is feeling like you're better than someone else. I don't know if you ever struggle with this. Um, It sounds horrifically arrogant, especially when I say it like that. You know, feeling like you're better than someone else. But it comes in so many forms that you might not actually realize. You know, one might be that obvious pride uh, that comes with someone who feels like they just know better than someone else. They behave better than someone else. Or they are better than someone else. But another way that you might be able to believe that uh, you yourself love God more than other people because of your daily disciplines, because of the way that you conduct yourself with God or your theology or whatever it might be, It might be that you believe that your situation is genuinely just more difficult than someone else's without actually getting to know their situation. It might be that you're just so in the right, you know, in the middle of an argument that the other person doesn't actually need to be understood because you're already right. What's the point in getting to know their wrong perspective anyway? The point is that the focus is on you. Because this is where our sin-soaked hearts often lead us. This is where we often get led. We think about ourselves. There's sometimes this voice inside of our heads that's really genuinely hard to make, to be quiet. And it asks this question, what about me? We don't want to put ourselves second in order that we might understand the other person to find out where they're coming from, what their history is, why they feel a certain way. And this type of thinking makes you unsatisfied with your church. 
makes you unsatisfied with your relationships, and ultimately, it makes you unsatisfied with your God as well. Now, we've been talking about peace on earth in our series through the Advent season, and so far we've seen that it is God who brings peace. That is Jesus' mission to seek and to save the lost. And it helps us to begin to think about how we might be welcomed in by God and how that might bring us peace. But surely that's not the end of it. Because if we are to truly have peace on earth, well, how can we have that unless we have peace with those around us as well? Does God's plan for our salvation also include not only Jesus' seeking and saving both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility? In this passage, we read that it's for both groups. You might be asking, who are these groups? Both groups are talking about Jew and Gentile. And you might have heard these terms before if you've been with New Life for a little while. It appears all throughout the Bible as well. The Jewish people and everyone else around them is categorized as the Gentiles. So it's uh, very Jew-centric. You know, it's uh, Jewish or Gentiles. It's like if your parents are very Korean-centric and they think it's just Koreans and everyone else in the world. Okay. Now, we at New Life, we're at a time and culture where we might not be able to fully appreciate what all of this means. But we're actually part of that second group too. We're part of that Gentile group. And yet for us, as we follow Christ and put our faith in him, we're told, Jesus declares over us that we too are sons of Abraham, one of the Jewish people, one of the Jewish fathers, like we saw with Zacchaeus last week, like we saw in Galatians 3. But what does this mean? What does it mean that we enter into being members of the spiritual Israel? Now, you guys know um, how much Bora and I love our boy Jonas. For those of you who have been around for a little while and have heard the whole story of you know, us not being able to conceive for quite a number of years, for about seven years, you know the surprise and the joy that we shared at discovering that God had given us this boy. You guys know just how great our love is for our son. But what if at some point you find out that we decided to adopt another child into our family? You know, it's a beautiful thing, right? Would, you, would Jonas and the newly adopted child suddenly be at odds with one another? Would they be at each other's throats? Would they feel like they're actually the main object of affection in the family? Because obviously a new baby would receive a little bit more attention than, not the old baby, but the older baby. Would they deal with inadequacy? Would they argue about who is more loved than the other? Now, your knowledge of our history of infertility, you know, it might help you to understand the weightiness of the decision that we would make, of the love that we have for not only Jonas, but for this hypothetical adopted child. You would know that Jonas is part of this family's faith history as well, because we prayed so much for this child. We cried over him. We rejoiced and laughed when we found out that we're about to have this child. And yet you would also know that the decision doesn't come lightly. This newly adopted child enters directly into the same family history as well, receiving the same love as Jonas. Too often, our salvation, it occurs in this bit of a vacuum. You know, we think about our salvation as though we have it in our minds that God is interested in me, just me. You know, we think about my personal relationship with God. We think about how God must really care about me, and he does. It makes us feel really special. It makes us feel really sparkly and new and fuzzy inside. 
And yet it sometimes puts us at odds with those around us because we stop being able to think about them. We find ourselves unable to think about how God must feel about them as well, especially when we're at odds with one another, especially when we argue, when we can't think about them. We have less appreciation for our own salvation through this since we don't understand the history behind it. Now, like in the thought experiment of adoption to my family, there's a history. Our salvation is not just our own. Do you know this? But by it, by adoption into God's family of faith through Jesus Christ, we enter directly into a history. We enter directly into the inheritance that God has promised to Israel as well. For us as Gentiles, and for the Gentiles that Paul is writing to in Ephesus, in this passage, our understanding has to be this. Once we were outsiders to this promise that God made to Israel. If you guys have ever seen, like this is the time of year when you guys watch Christmas movies, right? And usually, at least in the older ones, there's always these scenes where there's like an orphan outside of a Christmas window. And they're peeking in on a family. They're eating a nice dinner. looks really beautiful. They're exchanging gifts, you know, and it's really cold and snowy outside. They're looking in enviously at the children who had received the promises of the Father. I can't stress enough how deep this division was between the Jews and the Gentiles before Jesus came. It's far beyond any sort of hurt that you might have endured yourself. And I hesitate to say that because I know there are people that have endured all sorts of hurts within our church or outside of the church from other people as well. But this is greater than the history of suffering and persecution that we might have experienced. We read about this all throughout the Old Testament as well, and the fractured nature of the relationship between the different tribes of humanity, between God and humanity as well. There's this dividing wall of hostility, we read in Scripture, between the Jews and the Gentiles. Like the Christmas window scene, one group looks in enviously at these people communing with God, and the other group, well, they look out arrogantly, And yet now, as those who have received adoption into God's family through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we find ourselves in that privileged position as well. We cannot have peace until we begin to fully appreciate just how far apart we are, or we were, from peace and salvation. And when we understand this, we begin to have this inkling of just how great God's grace was for us. Like each week when we talk about the gospel of grace, that word grace, it should hold a little bit more meaning to us. There should be a weightiness to this word that not only would he save us, but he would do so at the cost of the life of his own son. So how does this happen? We read that it's Jesus, for he is our peace, we read. And we saw last week that it's God's mission. It's Jesus who goes out to seek and to save the lost. And he does this through his death. But how does his death actually accomplish this? Well, we can't be at peace until we're actually at peace with God. Once we were outsiders to the promise, at enmity with God, outcast from the Father's presence because God is holy. God is pure holiness. In him, there's no darkness, there's no sin. And so you can imagine by our own very nature, if we were to enter into his presence, 
well, we actually disqualify ourselves from his presence. Sin can't enter his presence because we will be obliterated by his absolute holiness. And yet Jesus is our peace. As a sinless son of God, he is God and is in perfect relationship with the Father. And in the Advent season, we turn our eyes back to his birth when God the Son, who has always been, enters into humanity. He enters into his own creation that he might be born in the flesh, that he might live the sinless life that we could never live, and that he might enter in, that he might die the death that we deserve to live, uh, to receive for our sin. He stands in our place and he receives the penalty that was due to us. And if you want anyone taking your penalty, you want it to be Jesus. Jesus, in his eternality, he pays for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Ephesians 2.16 reads this. By the way, that was a bit of a World Cup joke. I don't think. Yeah, anyway. All right. Ephesians 2.16. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. It's not fun when I explain it though, right? right. And in fact, he puts the hostility that exists to death. And so we're declared righteous as God the Father accepts the Son's payment on our behalf. He declares us righteous because he sees who his Son is and now he overlays that upon us. We're at peace with God and it's a peace that goes beyond just a lack of war. Like I, I love how that song goes. You know, there will be no more war, but it's not just a lack of war, but it's wholeness. It's order in our hearts. It's instead of chaos in our minds, there's order, there's peace. A peace that Christ himself gives to us, a peace that Christ himself is. Now this is great, especially this Christmas season, if you've been feeling far apart from God. You know, I know a lot of us do feel that way. This is really good news for us. But what do we do about this dividing wall of hostility between humanity? What do we do about the envy, the anger, the hatred that might exist between you and someone else? Someone that you're pretty sure that you're better than. Ephesians 2.14, For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is our peace, and we understand this now. But what does he do about our relationships with one another? Now, I mentioned how deep the divide was between Jews and Gentiles. And yet we read that Jesus made both groups one. He tore down the dividing wall of hostility. These two groups that are being talked about, the Jewish and the Gentile believers in Jesus, Jesus brings them into unity. At the time of Christ entering into our history, this divide was the most fundamental divide in all of humanity. Even the fact that this distinction can be made throughout the Bible between Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles being everyone else on the planet, you can see how deep this divide is. This should tell you something. Why was there a dividing wall of hostility? This dividing wall is talking about the Mosaic law that you find in the Old Testament. So it's talking about something very biblical. 
Okay, it's this law that the Jews have received in order to draw closer to God. It's this code of holiness that they live by that was required in order for sinners to draw near to God. So it's a very good thing. This was a separation that existed between Jews and Gentiles. Since Jews could come near to God through this, and yet, what was supposed to happen after this? The Jews were supposed to invite others in as well, that they might be a blessing just as they've been blessed before by God. And yet, it didn't happen. And so this was certain to cause hostility, as you can imagine. It's like these days when the poor talk about wanting to eat the rich, for example. But on a greater level, since this has to do with our God, it has to do with our very being and not just our finances, the separation that resulted in the ones on the inside feeling the sense of superiority, you can imagine what this does to people, like they were better than you, rather than inviting the outsiders in. And this isn't where you want to be as a Christian either. But Jesus tore down this wall of hostility in his flesh. Because though God, he came as human. This is the biggest wall that there can possibly be between God and humanity. And yet he came as a human. That he might die. It's the perfect offering. The perfect sacrifice once for all upon the cross. And the law that separated the Jews and the Gentiles, this dividing wall of hostility... It gets torn down. But what does this mean? Does this mean now that the wall was torn down, that we do whatever we want, that we have no code of ethics, no code of morality? You can look at the law as a sort of a covenant. It's an agreement between God and man about how things will go in order for them to draw near to one another. And this was superseded by the new covenant for Jews and Gentiles as well. The new covenant in Jesus Christ. This is why we don't just enter into Israel's history, but there's a fundamental change that's made. This is why we don't take up the Mosaic law as our guide to God. Like, ask yourself, do you live by the Mosaic law? Morality still exists. Please don't get me wrong on this, but there's no, for example, ritual circumcision of men that we need to do in order to signify our membership into this covenant. There's no upkeeping of certain ritual laws that we need to accomplish or else we get sent out from the community. No, we're a new creation. It's not just Jews and Gentiles anymore, but we're Christians. This is where we're at. There's a few verses here I'd like to share with you. Colossians 3 reads this, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, But Christ is all and in all. Then Galatians 3 reads, There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Galatians 6, For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. When it talks about this, it's not discounting the natural differences that we have between one another. Look around you. We're mostly Korean here. There's a smattering of people that are not Korean as well. It's not discounting that this is true. We can see it when we look at each other. And yet, as Edwin read to us in the PSP, the pre-service prayer time, there's no favoritism with God. 
You don't exclude one another by the color of your skin. You don't exclude one another by your gender. Something changes when we're in Christ because it's less about what divides us and it's more about who unites you. Because you might very well find that one day you meet someone halfway across the world. You don't speak the same language. You come from a very different culture. You have a very different family background. You have very different finances. And yet, if you meet a Christian from that culture, you'll find that you might have more in common with them than your own unbelieving family members. Ephesians 2, the last part of 14 to 16, in his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. Jesus makes peace by creating a new person. We have no dividing wall of hostility because we are one. He doesn't just bring one of us into another group. That would have been very easy to do, but no, we're a new creation. This is what was needed in order to destroy this wall once and for all. Because it's not just enough to have the best of the Jews and the Gentiles. No, we need a completely new creation that transcends both. Jesus is our peace. And because of him, we have peace with God. And this creates the foundation for our peace with one another. We needed this because we need a recreation. We need a regenesis in Jesus. And God is ultimately creating all things new centered around Jesus. I'm sure you notice that we don't have complete peace here on earth. You know, there's war still going on around the world. Possibly, as we draw near to the holiday season, there's some sort of wars going on in your families as well. You know, I find that when you're in close quarters with family, you tend to lose patience a little bit more often. We don't even have complete peace here in our church. But the work has begun. When Jesus died on the cross, he set something in motion that's unstoppable. There is something that you just have to join in on because it's not going to stop. It's a future that's set in stone. It's a guarantee. It's a promise of this inheritance that we're given. And there is still that future element to it. Don't get me wrong. When the relationship between Jews and Gentiles will be completely mended at that, t- at, at that time. But for now, Paul writes to the Ephesians here that the fact that you have both groups in the church now is evidence that something's happening. And we can say the same for ourselves with our imperfect church too. With older Korean seniors, you might feel that in the past there was enmity. With people from all nations that we invite in that might feel a little bit out of place here at New Life. With those that are Korean and yet feel closer to Australian, Whatever the case, it's evidence of a change coming, of a hostility that was put to death, of a time of true peace here on this earth. And now, we as this one new man, this new creation in Christ, what do we do now? We'll talk about that next week.
Why don't we pray for now? Before I pray for you, how about I share with you something that you can pray to God first? First of all, if there is any sort of hostility, bad blood between you and someone else in your life, whether in this church or outside of it, why don't you talk about that with God? Tell Him about this. Tell Him about how you feel, about what happened, and tell Him about the things that you feel, the hatred in your heart now. So why don't I give you a moment for that? Recognizing that we can't do something about this on our own. That we need God's help in order to rehabilitate, to reconcile. So why don't you spend some time praying and asking God to intervene in the situation. To give you a new heart of forgiveness for these other people. Why don't we pray?
when you repent, you not only admit that you need God's help, but you receive his help. And when you receive his help, you receive his welcome. He wants for you to be welcomed into his family as his child. That means full forgiveness. That means full acceptance. And that means that a change is coming as well. Now I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to model out this prayer. And it's going to be a more personal one for myself. But hopefully this will help you to guide you in how you can pray as well for your own situation. And Father, I come before you and I confess before my family here at New Life that it's so much easier for me to focus on myself than on other people. There have been so many times, not only through these years, but even this week, where I have felt as though my work is of greater importance because of the nature of the work and spending time with them than hearing from them than loving them. It's easier for me to feel as though I'm being interrupted than it does for me to just feel as though I'm part of the family. And I confess that to you. It's so hypocritical of me to stand and to talk about these things and to not be able to confess. But I pray, Lord, that as I confess these things, you will help me to change my heart because I can't do it on my own. I've tried for so many years, and yet the change doesn't come. It's habitual. So Holy Spirit, I confess that I need your help. Father, there is no interruption, there is no work that's of greater importance than the mission that you've set before us, that we might love one another. So would you help me to receive and to give love to my family? Would you help me, Lord, to be able to repent to turn to you, to confess these things, and to recognize, Lord, that it's only in Jesus that I find my hope. He's the only one that can tear down this wall of hostility. He's the only one who is my peace. Nothing else will bring me peace. Not even completing the task that's been set before me. Not even feeling as though I'm doing everything to the best of my abilities. But he's the only one, and I find full acceptance in him. May I love the way that he loves. For he stands in my place. And not only stands, but he hangs upon that cross. And hated, reviled, and mocked by his people, who he did no wrong against. He still stands up for them. And asks of you, Father, forgive them, for they don't, do not know what they do. Would you help me to forgive any of the hurts that I might have received along the way? And more than this, 
Would you help me to not only receive your love and your welcome and your acceptance, but help me to extend it to all those around me as well. May we here in New Life experience true peace with you first and then with one another. May we love the way that we've been loved. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.